Welcome everybody to another episode of Europe's B2B SaaS sales podcast. My name is Patrick and I'm very happy to welcome Bruno Teuber, the Chief Revenue Officer at Commerce Tools in today's episode. Welcome Bruno, really, really happy to have you here today. Thanks Patrick, thanks for having me. Great to meet you. Yes, great to meet you. I mean, um, and that's why we, we we start a little bit differently. I think you're probably the most successful uh, sales leader that we had in our podcast uh, yet. Like practicing sales leader, commerce tools has more. They have more than 350 uh, employees. I think that's what I see from LinkedIn. But I let you. I let you tell a little bit first about. What you've done in sales so far, Bruno, and uh, yeah, about a little bit, a bit about the role today. Yeah, sure, happy to. So I'm trying to kind of keep this relatively short and condensed. I, I became part of the software sales world uh, back in September '95 when I joined a company called Tivoli Systems, uh, which then, about six months later, got acquired by IBM. Uh, initially. We were a small 50 million Austin, Texas based public startup software company and then became part of a monster, um, which obviously is still very successful these days. But, you know, I learned um, through that uh, activity uh, how to um, navigate through uh, different stages of uh, working in very small unknown brands, but then also kind of becoming part of a bigger organization with a with a more known brand. And then from then I uh, uh, I went through a number of different uh, um, activities and and sales leadership roles, which almost all of them were for startup companies or early scale-up companies who made it to Europe. So I think I kind of became pretty well known in the VC world to um, become like the first person on the ground in Europe and, and bootstrap and build up an organization over here. So uh, those companies included Motive, Lithium. Um, and now I'm, uh, as you mentioned before, I'm, I'm at Commerce Tools uh, for the last two and a half or almost three years where we are in a 100% growth uh, mindset mode uh taking this company to a much larger scale so that's a little bit about myself oh that's so that that's that's awesome actually so you brought us companies into europe now i have to ask the question about the the cultural differences that you see between us companies who want to come to to europe yeah so i think um there's obviously always a difference in in how you successfully become um, as a company in different markets. But I would say at the same time, business is business. So I think you always have to kind of like find the way to justify why somebody has a need to buy something in the first place. And 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 uh, but clearly there is there is variations, right? I think cultural differences. Uh, you know, the U.S. companies have a very um, uh, you, you know, a mindset of everything is equal over, all over the place. And obviously, if you if you have successfully ended up uh, selling uh, significant deals and activities and grow organizations, for example, in France, you soon realize that this 
American-based approach actually doesn't apply because without a bottle of red wine and a lunch, you're not selling in France. And so I think applying local nuances and understandings of how the behavior, the buying behavior of people uh, are related to different uh, parts of the world, um, you still will be somehow successful, but not as, as quickly successful as you want it to be. So there is clearly a, a notch to that for sure. Okay, something that caught my attention just before when we talked, uh, Bruno, when you said, hey, medic, you also grew up in the medic world in 1995. Parametric technologies was 1989 or something like that, where John started there and they developed medic. You just mentioned that somehow in some situations or medic is outdated because the way we buy today is a bit different. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? So I think I think all those methodologies um, and medic is is just a, a sub part of it have obviously their values um, and are continue to be very important. But at the same time, the world has significantly moved on. Right in the past, um, when medic was born or the different methodologies, medpick, um, you know, all, all all of those different ways of engaging with the customer and and so forth have evolved from a time where I call it smoke and mirror, um, a little bit of smoke and mirror was still reality. So, you know, I'm not going to even show you my product uh, before you, you before we haven't engaged in creating a business case and before we haven't kind of like created the value, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I have gone through a lot of that in the past. I never worked for PTC, but I know quite a lot of people there and and adjacent companies, BMC was in that spectrum, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, the world today is different, at least with the modern companies where, um, for example, at Commerce Tools, 100% of our product is online and free available to people to do a trial for two months. 100% of our documentation is fully available on our website. We just published our five-year uh, product strategy a few days ago on LinkedIn. So it is not longer, um, I need something from you before I show something from me type approach. And therefore, the, the, the mind shift has fundamentally changed. There is obviously always uh, and continues to be um, you know, a very uh, uh, important tactic when you say, you know, why should a customer buy anything? Why should, you know, this customer buy anything now? And why then in our case, should he buy, he or she buy something from commerce tools? But the mechanics uh, to go through that flow are fundamentally different. And those companies who uh, continue to have a very strict mindset, even though the, way of engaging with those organizations and having access to the products has fundamentally changed, I think will be challenged. Mm -hmm. Wow, interesting. So one of the fundamental changes that you mentioned now, I mean, now they have a lot of access to, to, to uh, uh, on your website, for instance, but also you can show the tool, basically. That wasn't the case in 1995 then, I guess. So you, would, you wouldn't just be able to go with your laptop and show a little bit uh, what, what this was all about or what this is all about like yeah exactly i mean back then it was it was it was really literally obviously we did presentations we had meetings but 
you sold a vision, right? And you, you, you sold something which, you know, you had to piecemeal at which point you want to show what, so that you, you're not like getting stuck in the sales cycle and you're just kind of like keeping the momentum, um, you know, of engagement and also having the ability to access the right level of people. So in my past life, we often went into an organization and we'd rather wait the three months to get to the top versus just having a first conversation further down the path. And then when we had access to these top level people, we told them, you know, we took a preemptive strike and said, we believe we can save you 20 million, but in order to justify this, we need to access to those 10 people. And, and we come back to you, Mr. or Mrs. CIO, and, and we will prove to you in a business case that, you know, we can actually save save that 20 million. And through that, uh, a lot of time they gave you ex uh, gave us access to to those people. And then we successfully concluded and ended up in a in a five or 10 million transaction with an ROI of, you know, two um, X or four X or higher. But today that's not possible anymore, because I think, as I mentioned before, often here at Commerce Tools, I'm just using this as an example, by the time we are engaging with a new prospect, they have done their homework. They have already worked on our platform for a month or two uh, because it's free and accessible without any human interaction on our 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 uh, website. They have read all the documentation. They probably have even developed a prototype or a fully working um, solution on top of our platform. So there is no such, such, such thing as um, uh, piecemealing that information is it's all there right and the, and the people on the other side are much more educated and equipped in understanding so there is we, you just have to kind of like um, and again I mean don't get me wrong I'm not saying that this like parent PTC kind of approach is not longer relevant but you have to be extremely careful and mindful of how and when you're applying those back practices to the modern world of selling software today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, uh, you mentioned that shift. Uh, and usually when a big shift is happening, also the techniques or the, the tools um, are changing. And uh, uh, so quick question to that, Bruna. Do you, all, that also is applies for large enterprise deals. What do you mean? Also, even people, do, actually, first of all, do you sell to large enterprises properly? And if yes, do also they like test stuff out first and, and really get to know the, the tool? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the first question, the answer is yes, we are selling to predominantly large enterprise companies and also I would say mediums to large size mid-market companies. So all of them have uh, a sizable level of complexity in their organization. There are hundreds, thousands, ten thousands of people with large technology uh, teams um, led by a CTO, modern-minded um, organization when it comes down to the tech stack. Uh, and they all are um, either on their own or sometimes together with a partner um, accessing those technologies. And, and, and they're not only testing things, they're actually building stuff on top of it. It's, it's not like just, uh, I'm going to see if this works, but it's like I'm spending the next 30 days with 20 people or 50 people 
on top of the of the platform and building what we believe we need to build going forward and at some point throughout that cycle they then engage with us um, if they like it enough um, which oh, fortunately most of them do and 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 you know at that point we then enter into a sales cycle where the proof of concept and proof of value is kind of already completed right then it all comes down to uh, how can we maximize uh, the initial you know total deal size total contract value how can we um you know show them that we are the right partner that you know how our roadmap evolution is going to look like etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's it's like a little bit an upside down scenario to the to the time where i'm coming from back in 95 where also ptc was evolved evolved mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have those motions separated? The motion for to have a different sales motion for mid-market and one for enterprise market. Yeah, we do. We have a we 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 do have that. Although um, it's not as black as white as you know. Going back to your, what is the difference from US-based approach? I think they they have a very uh, clear mindset about enterprise versus mid-market and and in our case over here especially in europe where you have um you, you know we are now like a medium-sized sales organization but if you if you sell into different countries into different regions at at some point it's all, all also about timing at which point when you're entering into new territory you say italy as an example you're probably not going to kind of create the motion of enterprise and mid-market and hire four people each. You just hire one person and see how you how you get along in, in, in the sales world and, and how quickly you can land your first deals. And you don't care too much whether those are mid-market deals or enterprise deals, right? And then as you grow, uh, of course, there is then uh, a different approach where you say, okay, now I'm, I'm going to hire... Um, continue to hire heavy lifting, expen experienced, expensive enterprise reps who can navigate through a very complex sales cycle. And at the same time, I'm hiring less experienced, um, you know, mid-market people who are more in a transactional mindset and, and can approach slightly smaller organizations. But at the beginning, this line is very blurry and, and also the, the definition of uh, what what mid market versus enterprise is 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 very different, especially in our case. And obviously, if you are selling a product which is uh, seat related, so how many people have access to the platform, then I think it becomes easier. In our case, we're selling a, a commerce uh, platform, and you know, an enterprise slash mid market commerce platform. Um, we have a lot of customers who are very small in terms of. The size of the organization, but who are very big customers for us because they are 100% pure play online companies, and they're doing 100 million revenue over an online only um, platform. And therefore, you know, from a deal size point of view, they are in the enterprise category. From a complexity of the sales cycle point of view, they are just 20 people, right? And and so it's it's not that complex they just need the best technology at the fastest possible time so i think even here the 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 online world is starting to kind of like you know make a lot of starting mm -hmm. to differentiate um uh significantly based on you know what we used to know from the past mm -hmm. 
Perfect. Yeah. Is there is there a time that you say, hey, that's that's I also same experience with us right now. I, I did already plan in the business plan for for the separation of mid market and enterprise. I don't see that with us at the moment really needed because, as you say, um, I mean, we get into big businesses. Yes, but it's not the big deals right now. We can't close a one million dollar uh, one million dollar deal at the moment uh, after eight months in business um, so i don't see that happening now when do you think or based on what do, do, does one decide whether to separate those two motions yeah i i think maybe i'm answering this question in a slightly different way i believe the 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 need when a company is growing from an idea to a product to an early stage in the market winning the first you know uh, customers making them referenceable and then just bootstrapping this up to a, a, a larger more scalable um, approach uh, is obviously the key of every company's success in our space and and all of those um places in the in 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 the in the history or in the trajectory of 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 this kind of evolution of of a growing company are fundamentally different right i mean if you you know if if you're at a very early stage when i joined motive and lithium we did not have a single customer in europe we were okay in the states and then at some point we decided or they decided uh, to go Europe, I became the first employee. I had to buy, build a legal entity to hire myself. And then the only thing I cared about was how can I find my first three customers, right? And 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 so that was my only um, target. And and because without those, there is no point to hire the first sales guy. There is no point to hire a pre-sales person. There is no point to build marketing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you have to have a, an entrepreneurial laser focus mind mindset on okay how many customers do we have in the states what are they doing what are the use cases how can i find and replicate um the same in a, a few situations in the states then from there you start to build um, your first team and even in the first i would say year or two you still have the same approach you need a very entrepreneurial early stage um you know mind the people they don't need any structure really they they just they need a product and a price book and even maybe not even a price book you make it up right and and then you just find your deals and and once you have a critical mass of a number of deals a few reps who are starting to be become successful from that point you need to then start thinking about okay how can i get this to the next level how do i maybe uh create a focus on industry how i create the focus enterprise versus commercial am i going to split the team in those two motions or not um and so it, it is a very uh fine line of always kind of feeling when the time is right to actually get to the next level and with, if i look back and i also have obviously uh, a fairly um large network of people I know. Um, I believe most of the companies who failed or who haven't grown as fast as they could have is because they kind of 
approach this like the same way for everybody and i have done this this way before and let's just do it here and 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 that i think is very often uh just a setup for failure because you just it's the gut feeling uh, which I always kind of use to guide myself to when is the right time to actually uh, organize that in a different way. And then, of course, if you're starting to have 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 reps, it's becoming an entirely different game because then you have to uh, sales enablement, the proper training, guiding them through a sales cycle, proper pricing, which is capable where you not every single deal looks different, et cetera, et cetera, are becoming a completely different and even more important topics than just finding the next customer, because otherwise you just, you're lumpy as an organization, right? And, and so that there is, uh, there was a long answer to your question, but I, I think there is no clear answer because the answer is related to at which level of that journey you are in. Yeah, no, makes sense, definitely. I'd like to go to a slightly different topic, execution. Um, so I guess you are probably very familiar, Bruno, with the like American way of execution, um, like how to drive salespeople's performance um, higher and kind of make them, yeah, make them close deals. Uh, I, you know, from the U.S., it, that quarterly, basically the quarterly. Uh, pressure that comes i think also with now let's say, say i just heard that from salesforce uh last week that they push really really hard for the end of the quarter and people make some deals happen but also not sure maybe also some negative effects out of that do you see what what way do you see um as a sales leader how do you drive executions are there is there any ways that any any um, methodologies that you use internally to do that uh yeah it's a great question um so first and foremost i have a 25 year old love-hate affair with quarter ends um i think if i would not be in a in a world of quarter end pressure i i, I i'm not sure it, whether this would be a good thing or a bad thing, because it just became a part of my life. Um, <laughs> my my friends always say, "You guys are crazy. Who cares about the quarter? You know, the non-American-minded people." But mm -hmm. you know, we we have you know, in our case, this year in 2022, we anticipate about 300 new deals uh, coming down the pipe this year, right? And if you don't have a way to create a, a level of urgency and the cadence, um, then it, everything will happen in December, right? Or not. And and so th th I think the reason why this quarterly pressure is even here is, is be because of just giving the organization uh, the chance to survive. Because if you think about if you need, um, uh, you know, lawyer support, uh, deal desk support, all of that kind of stuff. If you don't have a, a sequence of cadence throughout the year, you probably would have to hire twice as many or three times as many lawyers to support your, you know, terms and condition negotiations because everything will be followed into the last, mm. you know, week yeah. or days of the quarter. However, um, I think there are other ways to do that and approach that. And so I think one of the 
what what we have done or what I have done in 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 this company I'm just currently at is I have changed our quote so we are still reporting quarterly obviously to our investors um, and and that's that's fine but in terms of how I manage um, the team is we have completely changed from a three three rolling months mindset so at the beginning of the year in january our forecast discussion is january february march what are you closing in january what are you closing in february what are you closing in march on the first of february it's then february march and april and 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 so forth so it's a rolling three months mindset where the pressure to the end of the quarter is actually moved into a monthly, I wouldn't say pressure, but it's a monthly cadence. And with that, you have a completely different way of approaching that. And, and with that, we have, uh, before we have made that change, I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I, I would say roughly about 70 to 80% of our deals we did was in, in March, June, September, December. And right now we actually changed uh, that percentage to less than 50% because, you know, the, the, um, the January and February, in my example, uh, you know, close rate improved significantly. So the early two months of every quarter became a lot more important and therefore the last months become less, less important. So that's, that's one thing I would say has, um, uh, helped me tremendously and at the beginning everything oh my god this is kind of like very complicated but it's not it's just you know you're building a sheet uh in, in our sales force and you know everything is kind of like starting to become a three rolling months cadence and and so therefore the, the end of the quarter is, is is less pressing the other thing i would say is i believe most companies have too strong of um um a, a, a focus on quarter end and on closing. I mean, I'm the first and the biggest believer in time kills all deal and focus and everything. Don't get me wrong. But if you focus more on pipeline creation and if you actually have the right cadence, the right activities uh, and put people accountable against pipeline creation and not just waiting uh, until something is coming down your pipe, your closing piece becomes a lot easier, right? Because pipeline solves everything is kind of like this stupid phrase, but it's kind of true, right? It's at yeah. the end of the day, if yeah. your pipeline is big enough, then, you know, there's always something to close. And if you if your pipeline sucks, uh, then the closing sucks too, or, or, or <laughs> the, the, the amount of pressure is, is just significantly higher. So, you know, moving, shifting the focus of the sales organization to say, hey, don't blame marketing and partners if you don't have sufficient pipeline. Blame yourself. How much pipeline do you need? And measure the pipeline creation per rep, per week, in a very systematic way, and find patterns why something is good or bad, and then create and change those uh, patterns uh, in order to uh, give the AEs a bigger chance to convert through the pipeline and then close is the second piece which will significantly help for sure. It sounds easy, but uh, it, it is a, a big mind shift, not only in the sales organization, but in the entire company.
Yeah, that's amazing advice. I really like the, the idea of the rolling three months. I'm definitely, and maybe, but maybe I have to call you once before, before I implement that to <laughs> get a bit more details on yeah, it. Yeah. It might not be that, might not be that easy, but I'm really intrigued of that idea. That's, uh, I've never heard of that. And I'm incredibly intrigued. Now, my last question to that, mind: how do you uh, keep yourself up to date with like, the newest, not, not, not the newest uh, ideas out there. How do you still learn and and you know all this stuff that you came, you came about somehow or you you had the ideas. Um, how what's your primary source of uh, increasing your knowledge of learning yourself still? Um, I would say the primary source is hiring the best talents who have a significant amount of experience themselves and who can come up, come up with, um, I always call it dealing with pride, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not learning from reading books. I'm, I'm, I'm learning by building the best possible go-to-market team and, and hire people who, have, who bring uh, experience and then we combine all these experiences into into what is even better and then all the people who work in that same team when they move on they do the same in the next company so i think for me it's 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 all about uh, uh the ability to hire overqualified people who have a wealth of experience themselves who have a creative mind um i i i'm a, 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 i continue to be a keen i'm 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 not stuck in what worked in the past i'm in like more interested in how can we tweak and adjust every single day to make it better for the future and that is i think my learning pattern um, uh, has always been and hopefully will continue to be going forward great answer thank you bruno thank you so much for uh, for joining uh, this i mean i learned tremendously i asked a bit egoistic questions because that's also things that's that, I'm, that i'm working on at the moment but uh, i think for sure that will help a lot of people out there as well thank you so much for your time and for sharing your knowledge here thanks patrick uh, talk to you soon thanks for having me talk to you soon as well thank you so hey Sehr, sehr geil. So, jetzt muss das Ding. Du es irgendwie schneiden oder lässt es einfach so raus? Du, das kann ich jetzt einfach so rauslassen. Ja. Aus also, meiner Sicht. Also, ich ja. habe jetzt überhaupt nichts gehört oder gesehen, wo irgendwie nicht würde passen würde. Ja. Okay. Würde ich definitiv. Kannst du mir vielleicht einen Link schicken, wenn es live ist? Ich kann dir auch vorher schon einen Link schicken. Ähm, damit, wenn, oder, oder ich schicke dir auf jeden Fall einen Link, ja, wenn es live ist. Ja, ja, du musst es nicht vorher schicken. Ich, äh, okay. I have nothing to hide. <lacht> 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 Nein, wirklich sehr geil. Also äh, hilft mir persönlich jetzt wirklich auch gerade. Ähm, Rolling finde ich, find ich eine mega geile Idee. Ja, ist ganz das heißt, einfach. Das heisst, die Leute wissen immer, was die nächsten drei Monate sind. Also, sie haben eigentlich wie die nächsten drei Monate sind auf dem also, Schirm, oder? Genau, also unser Forecast in der Vergangenheit war bis im Januar, was ist die Forecast für das Quartal? Oder? Und dann haben die Leute angefangen zu sagen, so, 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 so. Und dann ist das irgendwie ein Roll-up zum Sales Leader und der Sales Leader an Geo Leader und der Geo Leader an mich. Ist alles immer quarterly minded gewesen. Und dann irgendwann haben wir gesagt, hey, komm, ich stoppe das. Dann haben wir ein Excel-Spreadsheet oder ein Google-Sheet gebaut, wo eben statt Quartal haben wir einfach gesagt, es gibt ein äh, Mans 1, Mans 2, Mans 3. Mhm. Was 
bringe dir in deine drei Monate, also total in den drei Monaten. Mhm. Dann sagt im Januar, habe ich hier zwei Deal, bla bla bla, im Februar das, im März das, das ist ein Total von so. Und dann Ende Januar haben hoffentlich die zwei Deal stattgefunden oder dann pusht einen über zu Februar, aber dann am 1. Februar, im 1. oder am 2. oder am 3. was auch immer, am 1. Forecast Call, redest du dann eben nicht über, über Februar, März, sondern du fängst an über den April schon reden. Und aufgrund von dem haben, haben immer alle eine dreimonatige ähm, View, wo voran irgendwie alle haben nur über das Q1 geredet und dann irgendwie am 1. April haben alle gesagt, oh mein Gott, ich muss Salesforce updaten, äh, es ist alles irgendwie fucked up und du bist einfach viel cleaner <lacht> mit deinen ganzen Daten. Also alles, äh, also weißt du, wie es im Salesforce ist und so weiter, ist immer noch gleich, also dort hat es ein Close-Date drin, verschiedene Stages und so weiter und so fort, aber es ist halt einfach, wir haben einen Overlay-Bauer mit, mit der, mit der Month 1, 2, 3 und so weiter, Cadence und, und aufgrund von dem, also ich, ich habe das auch nicht selber erfunden, sondern mit jemandem, oder jemand hat das zu, an mich gebracht. Ich bin am Anfang so ein bisschen skeptisch gewesen, ob das, mhm. aber es ist das Einfachste von der Welt und hat einen huge Impact. Wirklich? Ja. ja. Also jetzt eben auch, ja, auch auf die, auf, wenn Deals closed werden, in dem Fall. Also wirklich, äh, das, ist, das ist schon geil. Ja, aber wir haben einfach alle gesagt, äh, 31. März, Close Date, 31. März, oder? Und dann, meistens ist der 31. März auch noch ein Sonntag oder ein Samstag und dort fangen schon mal an, irgendwie die ersten Challenges <lacht> und sagen, äh, also ist es, warum ist es der 31. März, bist du da sicher und, und, und. Und jetzt ist irgendwie der, der ganze monatliche Mindset ist im, im Team innen und das funktioniert recht gut. Ja. ja, so gut. So gut, ja. Ja, super. Und sonst, aber sonst, so execution-mäßig haben die irgendwie, also sonst, weißt du, wir zum Beispiel machen dem, vom 9, also jetzt aber das ist ganz Company, von, wir sind jetzt 30 Leute, das geht noch easy, von 9 bis 10 ab 9 machen wir so Daily Huddles, wo alle reingehen und sagen, was sie heute wollen was sie heute für Ziel haben. Weißt du, SDR sagen, ich mache heute 50 Cold Calls oder hole zwei Opportunities und so Zeugs. Ähm, mm, so mach, machen wir, äh, haben wir am Anfang, wo wir ganz klein sind, auch gemacht, aber dann natürlich, wenn du wach bist, wenn die Team größer werden, dann hat ich für Different Reporting Lines und so weiter, passiert das schon noch, aber halt einfach innerhalb von den einzelnen Teams. Oder? Also irgendwie der Sales Leader von North America, West, äh, neun Stunden Zeit verschoben, der macht das dann mit seinem Team und, und, und so weiter. Aber ähm, wir machen jetzt das nicht irgendwie cross-functional übergreifend über die Organisation, weil es halt einfach zu gross geworden ist und, und zu viele Leute sind. Ja, aber es macht okay. Aber wir haben auch so etwas in dem Fall. Ja, ja, haben wir schon auch. Ja, ja. Ähm, ja. Aber auch dort, ich meine, weißt du, es muss irgendwie aus meiner Sicht tragisch, wie viele, die dort drin sind, dann they talk to talk versus they actually mean it. Also weißt du, du kannst dann irgendwie, nur weil das halt einfach dann dort ist, äh, ein Smart Guy kann sich einfach dann dort rauswinden und sagen, ich mache denn das, aber ob es dann macht oder nicht. Also ich ja. glaube, am Ende des Tages geht es halt einfach darum, dass du irgendwie Leute, Leute, Leute kannst reinholen und zahlen, die entrepreneurial minded sind, wo irgendwie gar keine grosse, in der Early Stage, gar keine grosse 
Boundaries brauchen, weil, weil die sind einfach selbst, selbst motivierende Runners, oder? Und, und äh, ja. ob, ob jetzt der eine sagt, ich mache 50 Cold Calls oder ich mache nur 5, aber die 5, ich, ich lade den Fisch nicht ab der Angel, bis der sich irgendwie reingezogen <lacht> ist, oder? Äh, und ist dann die Frage, was ist zielführender? Oder? Also, und das ist immer so ein bisschen. Also, ich bin kein großer Freund von. Äh, ich glaube, man muss den Sales-Organisationen immer noch ein relativ großes Level of Flexibility geben, dass sie mit ihren eigenen, in ihrem eigenen Weg zum Ziel kommen. Und je enger maschig, dass du das machst, also wieder zurück auf Paramet, mhm. PTC und so, das hat schon seinen Charme, aber der Schuss kann auch hin und Weil, also, wenn du irgendwie, ich weiß, ob das ein gutes Beispiel ist, aber wenn du sagst, zehn äh, Leute, ich gehe jetzt in eine Bar rein und das ist die genaue Instruction, wie du irgendwie eine eine musst in der Bar finden, wo du kannst einen. Das wird nicht funktionieren, weil die haben alle ihren eigenen Approach. Der eine ist irgendwie, steht an Bar an und schaut um einen anderen. Also weißt du, there are ten ways to, to success und wenn du das zu engmaschig machst, ähm, habe ich einfach die Erfahrung gemacht, geht der Schuss eher hin und als vorne raus. Das heisst, ihr habt jetzt nicht irgendwelche Gespräche also definiert, was, was man als erstes Gespräch mit dem Kunden beispielsweise oder zweit oder wie, so ein bisschen wie, das, wie das abläuft. Haben das nicht schon, so wir haben das schon, wir haben auch eine Methodologie in, eingeführt mit Force Management. Das ist, äh, ja, die kenne ich äh, ja. ja. Spiced ja, und so, oder nehme ich an, in dem Fall. Ja. Also Force Management ist eher äh, Command of the Message heißt die. Ähm, das, sind, das ist eigentlich, also das habe ich schon alles, mhm. aber ich, ich bin einfach ein Gegner von Enforcing it too heavily. Also weißt du, jeder lernt dann etwas daraus und er muss, es ist wie beim Kochen, oder? Also die einen kochen nach Rezept und die anderen kochen nach Gefühl und, und Beide kommen sehr wahrscheinlich zu einem guten Tisch, aber der, der halt die Kombination macht, der sagt, das ist zwar mein Rezept, aber ich tue dort meine eigenen Flavors und meine eigenen Ingredients und meinen eigenen Style mhm. nur drei, hat vermutlich am Schluss ein besseres Resultat, als wenn er es wenn eins zu eins 100% nach dem, nach dem Rezept macht. Oder? Und das, das, das ist eigentlich so ein bisschen mein ja. äh, Approach in der Vergangenheit und glaube ich auch recht gut funktioniert. Ja. Und dort habe ich aber auch meine Fights mit Investoren und so weiter, oder dann halt teilweise ähm, sehr äh, eben so American Eist unterwegs sind und, und, und wo dann sagen, ja, wir müssen alles genau so machen und dann sage ich, nein, there is human beings involved und verschiedene Länder und verschiedene Kulturen und verschiedene Partner und verschiedene alles und du das ähm, ich, ich wollte ich wollte schon Guidance geben, mhm. aber innerhalb von diesen Guidance wird ich Freiheit zur Verfügung stellen, wie jemand innerhalb von diesen Guidance am schnellsten zum Ziel kommt. Und, und das, das gibt auch eine coole Kultur in einer Organisation, das gibt irgendwie ein Freedom ähm, und, 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 und das gibt so eine Eigendynamik, wo die Leute, wo die Leute den Value für sich selber sehen, anstelle 
dass du einfach irgendwie ein, 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 ein Zara bist, irgendwo in etwas Größerem, wo irgendwie genau gleich schnell drehen muss wie alle anderen. Mhm. Ja. Ja, voll. Weißt du, wo man, oder, das finde ich immer so, also finde ich, 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 ich sehe das eigentlich, also ich sehe das definitiv auch so. Ich glaube, das macht auch Sinn, wie du das sagst. So, was ist der, wo, wo, wie viel definierst und ab wann ist quasi der Freedom? Kann man, das, das kann man nicht, das kann man wie das andere, wo, man, wo ich gefragt habe, das kann man auch nicht so genau definieren. Oder welche, welche Sachen solltest du kennen, so ein bisschen, wo ist der Freedom und wo ist das, was du vorgibst? Also das hat zuerst zu tun mit, äh, mit, äh, mit äh, äh, wie seniorig dein Team, Team ist. Oder? Also ich sage jetzt mal in einer BDR-World, SDR-World, äh, wenn das alles irgendwelche Kids out of the university sind, ähm, musst du vermutlich der Freedom enger halten oder kleiner halten, weil mhm. die Idee geht um Cookie-Cutting, everybody the same und dann sagst du, okay, wie viel von dem geht runter und, und, und so weiter und so fort. Und je, je senioriger die Leute werden, wo, desto vermutlich weniger kannst du die, die Boundaries ähm, einschränken. Ich, ich weiß auch nicht, ob das ist eine Gefühlssache. Ich glaube nicht, dass du das mit Prozent oder mit irgendwie, irgendetwas kannst. Mhm. Vielleicht, ja. ist es, vielleicht ist es eine 70-30-Antwort oder was auch immer. Oder? Also, aber ich glaube, ich glaube wenn du die Bandage zu eng machst, also weißt du, wenn du sagst, am Morgen um 9 Uhr, vom 9 Uhr bis am Viertel ab haben wir das Hadel und jeder sagt bla bla bla, dann sagt ja einer, ja, aber am Morgen um 9 Uhr bin ich immer an dem und dem Kaffee und dort habe ich schon voll Fritz gefunden, weil das sind die Leute, die ich eigentlich heute approache. Ähm, und die kommen eigentlich nur am Montag, weil nachher findet dort das und das statt. Also, das ist ein dummes Beispiel, aber ich glaube, man muss einfach extrem aufpassen, dass man, die, dass man, die, die, dass man das Gespür nicht ja. bringt. Ähm, mhm. Das, ja. Ja. Hey, super spannend. Okay. Merci vielmals, Bruno. Gell? Die Zeit ja, ist eigentlich gern. ab. Ja, ich, muss, ich muss auch ein Haus weiter auf die drei ähm, bin da um auf die Uhr schauen. Nein, danke für danke und äh, ja, schickt mir, wenn es parat ist. Und eben wie gesagt, nächste Woche kann ich leider nicht äh, dabei sein, aber äh, enjoy. Merci. Ja, ich äh, gebe dir Bescheid, falls wieder etwas ist. Und äh, ja, wir, wir, ah, ja. wir hören uns sicher nochmal. Let's keep in touch. Okay, yes. super. Merci. Ach, gut. Hey, ciao. Ciao, tschüss, Bruno. Ciao. Thank you.